1: Good afternoon, and welcome to the Sunday edition of The Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. It was a significant week in American politics, culminating with U.S. President Donald Trump's acquittal by the U.S. Senate on two charges of impeachment. Earlier in his third State of the Union address, Donald Trump proclaimed that he has accomplished the great American comeback. But this was overshadowed by the public display of animosity and division in their politics as Trump refused to shake Democratic House leader Nancy Pelosi's hand and she in turn decided to forego the usual ceremonial introduction of the president and ripped up his speech immediately after he finished talking. And then there was the much-heralded Iowa caucuses, which failed to produce an immediate result based on an archaic tabulating process. Melissa Hausman is a professor of political science at Carleton University. Dr. Janice Stein, founding director of the Monk School of Global Affairs at the University of Toronto. And Dr. Ronald Schurin is an associate professor of political science at the University of Connecticut. They all weighed in on this week's developments.
2: I think we've been brought to a low level, and I regret that deeply. I regret particularly that uh, Michelle Obama had said a few years ago, when they go low, we go high. I wish the Democrats were following that advice.
3: Janice Stein, what do you think of where we're at? I think we
4: are in a period of really dangerous polarization. Uh, You could see it, visually in uh, Congress last night uh, by the behavior of both the Republicans and the Democrats. It seems there's almost no bridges left that cross the divide. That is really worrying, Libby, uh, Anytime that happens in a democracy.
3: Melissa Hausman? Well, I completely agree with what
5: Professor Stein just said. It would have been nice if the president went high instead of castigating the Democrats for um, the Iowa caucuses yesterday as well.
3: Well, let's talk about the Iowa caucuses. I mean, words fail. It, yeah. It's ridiculous. It's like a third world country and it's two days later and we don't have a real result.
2: Uh, obviously, all the attention is focused on the monumental screw up of the app, and it shows uh, never get into technology unless you really know what you're doing. And the Democrats uh, should have learned that from the uh, Affordable Care Act episode a few years ago. I do not think, and I know I'm alone in this, that the screw-up on the counting of the vote should invalidate the caucus system. And I don't think it should invalidate the Democratic Party. But I certainly think that it's a warning to all of us. Before you get into technology involving thousands of people, you really have to test and test and test again to make sure it's going to work. And you have an alternate backup system at all times.
4: Well, let me tell you a Canadian story. Air Canada, our national airline, changed its reservation system. Oh, goodness. Don't. (laughs) Chaos. Both to take 24 hours. We're in our six months. And it's still going on. That only to say, this is not unique uh, to politics. This is not unique to the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. There is a rush um, to put new systems in place that are going to be more user friendly, and people don't learn the lesson that you have to test it, and test it, and test it before you make it operational, and you have to provide backups for that first period of trialing. But I don't think it tells us anything about politics. It tells us a lot about technology.
3: This whole impeachment process, was it worth it? Did it do the Democrats any good at all, Dr. Sheeran?
2: No. But there was no way at a certain point that it could have been averted. Uh, And there comes a point, although Nancy Pelosi had said long ago that she wouldn't pursue impeachment for political reasons and she wouldn't prevent impeachment for political reasons and i guess at the end she was kind of put in a position of allowing it to proceed uh... trump's numbers are a little bit better than they were before the outcome as you say is foreordained uh, the the information that uh, that is out there persuades people who uh who think Donald Trump has been a deplorable president. This is yet one more set of information to solidify that view, and it persuades people who think Donald Trump is the tribune of the common people who's been persecuted by the, the deep state, uh, that, 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 that their position is supported. So we're back to kind of where we were, only with more intensity on both sides. Yeah,
4: I actually think the impeachment process did harm the Democrats and will continue to harm the Democrats because – I think that President Trump, um, who's a very skilled communicator um, and is um, expert at mobilizing populist sentiment, I think that he will uh, run against the deep state that impeached him and fuel the kind of um, conspiratorial language that he has used in the past, only more so. Um, So I I think this was something that Nancy Pelosi understood very well. She understood the dangers. She did not want this to happen, but frankly, lost control of her own caucus. Uh, the, The pressure from within her own caucus was so intense that when this last story broke, she could no longer resist. I think that was a strategic mistake on her part, as good a leader as she is. She put keeping her caucus together ahead uh, of the larger interests and made it more difficult for the Democrats in the general election.
1: Dr. Janice Stein, founding director of the Monk School of Global Affairs at the University of Toronto. Dr. Ronald Schurin, an associate professor of political science at the University of Connecticut. And Melissa Hausman, professor of political science at Carleton University. They were in conversation with Libby Snymer this past Wednesday, just a few hours ahead of U.S. President Donald Trump's acquittal in the American Senate. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fightback. How many times have you yelled at or at least had to move out of the way of the driver of a luxury car behaving badly on the road, blowing through a red light or cutting you off dangerously? A new study out of Finland finds the make of the car is no coincidence. Researchers there say they've discovered argumentative and egotistical men are particularly likely to drive cars such as Mercedes, Audis or BMWs. And these same personality traits can also explain why these people can be such aggressive and unethical drivers. The scientists assessed motorist personalities and found that they are more willing to fight and more likely to think the rules don't apply to them. To discuss the findings, Libby was joined by Brian Patterson, president and CEO of the Ontario Safety League, and Dr. Tracy Stein, a clinical psychologist and health educator.
6: Basically, the authors of this study wanted to see are people who buy these luxury cars more aggressive or more, um, actually not so much in this study, but more likely to be less agreeable and less conscientious. And the study they chose to do was born out of their own experiences with people driving luxury cars aggressively. So I'm not surprised at all. Brian Patterson, what do you think?
7: Yeah, I think uh, Dr. Stein got it uh, correct. The type A personality, the bit of a narcissist, the bit of a uh, have-to-show-off-who-I-am-and-what-I-own uh, are attracted to the to that product. And at the end of the day, um, I know we, we do uh, uh, issues with people who have, have come into conflict with the courts. And uh, on the days that we're doing that, there are a significant number of luxury cars in our uh, In our parking lot.
3: They asked uh, nearly 2,000, about 1,900 Finnish car owners about their cars, their wealth, and their consumption habits, as well as their personality traits, using a framework to assess the person's conscientiousness, neuroticism, extroversion, agreeableness. And openness to experience, so they correlated all those things. Uh, Tracy, is is that a, a good way of conducting a study like that?
6: Yeah. So what they did is they used a very uh, well known and um, long used model called the Five Factor Model, um, otherwise referred to as the Big Five. And these these five domains of personality that you mentioned tend to capture most of the variation in personality uh, across people in a population. And what they found in this study in particular, that what I found was surprising, was that they had two groups of people who tended to buy luxury cars. And the groups were actually very different from one another. The, the group that they expected to find was men who were low in agreeableness and You know, So if you're agreeable, you're cooperative and polite. If you're not very agreeable, you have low frustration tolerance. You might be more impulsive and more aggressive. And then the other group they found buying luxury cars were actually people in general, men and women, who happen to be more conscientious. And again, if you're conscientious, you're orderly and you're task-focused, and you actually care about doing a good job. Uh, And one of the things that they attributed this to is that People tend to choose brands that they think reflect something about them or how they view themselves in an ideal way. So if you're really conscientious, you want a car that you think is going to be well-built and function well and maybe reflect the fact that it does a good job and you do a good job. But if you're somebody who just needs a lot of validation and admiration and you want to be seen as better than other people, somebody who's maybe more narcissistic or less conscientious or less empathic, you're also going to want a high-status car as well. But you might not drive it very well. I find
3: trouble with people
6: in 4x4s. I think it's a similar phenomenon, though, because if you picture a truck as being very masculine and very powerful and... You know, being able to do other things on the road that other cars can't, that would make sense that somebody who might drive aggressively might also have a car like that. We have to keep in mind, too, that plenty of people have, you know, particular cars and don't drive aggressively. But what the authors of the study were saying is basically, if this is part of your personality, you will be drawn to high status items and not just cars, actually.
3: Brian Patterson, what would you like to leave us with on this?
7: The affluenza uh, ability of some young people to uh, acquire massive tickets with massive costs, uh, and they have no concept until they learn about it what the uh, what their uh, what the real consequences are for uh, uh, for that high speed on highways. They're really kind of oblivious. So affluenza and uh, and addis, but hopefully we get some better data more current data to people like Dr. Stein so that people will understand it is out there and we have to work on
3: it. Okay and Dr.
6: Stein what would you like to leave us with? I mean I would just urge people to drive as thoughtfully as they can Um, and certainly if you find that you're encountering the same aggressive driver all of the time I would certainly encourage people to report it so that there may be some consequence. Thankfully most drivers are actually pretty good I would think.
1: Dr. Tracy Stein, a clinical psychologist and health educator, and Brian Patterson, President and CEO of the Ontario Safety League. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of fight back. Have you been the victim of an email or phone scam? If yes, you are far from the only one. According to the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre, an email-based scam called spear phishing is cheating people of more money than any other scam in Canada. It is a request for money or information sent to a specific person, organization or business. This was the number one scam in Canada last year with losses of almost $37 million dollars. Libby was joined on Thursday by privacy expert Anne Kavukian and Jeff Thompson, Senior RCMP Intelligence Analyst with the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre.
8: So the Anti-Fraud Centre is a uh, central repository run by the Royal Canadian Mental Police, the Ontario Provincial Police and the Competition Bureau of Canada. So we're receiving reporting from uh, Canadians and, and, you know, people and businesses around the world uh, that have been affected by scams with a Canadian connection. So, so people can reach the Anti-Fraud Centre by calling a toll-free line 888-495-8501 or filing a report online at www.antifraudcenter.ca
3: It seems like the fraudsters are getting better and better at making their stuff look legit. I mean, it's easy enough sometimes... I get a call, uh, something about my visa, except I don't have a visa, so that's easy enough. But some of them really look legit. What are some tips to be able to recognize that they are
8: scams? Well, one of the key trends we see in fraud today is um, the use of fear or coercion or, um, you know, urgency, right? Uh, so one of the key things you can you can look for or listen for is the situation of, uh, you know, you need to do exactly what we're saying or else you need to do this right away. Uh, there's that level of authority. There's that level of fear. Um, the, the fraudsters are really practiced at trying to get people into... Um, a panic state. You know, they're they're trying to get you to react to their demands, and you know, one of the key things we want people to do is just stop. Don't react. Right? Uh, there's no no reason for you to have to provide personal or financial information or money in an urgent situation. You should be able to to stop, think about it, and talk to other people.
3: How do you know not to click on something that says, you know, we're about to give you a refund or or whatever?
8: Um, you got to be really cautious. you got to be paying attention to, you know, the, the URL or the, the the website address bar. Um, you look at the messaging. Look for typos, uh, mistakes uh, in the messaging. Uh, think, you know, what am I getting this refund for? Like, I've, I've gotten that email or that text message, and I haven't even filed my taxes yet. So so how can that possibly be, right? Um, why would I click on the link if I haven't even filed my taxes? So it's so really questioned, you know, what am I getting a refund for? Why? why is coming. Uh, and if you can't come up with a really good reason, then, you know, you shouldn't be following through.
3: I'd also like to bring in Anne Kavukian, who is the executive director of Global Privacy and Security by Design Centre. Does this surprise you that Canadians lost 130 million last year and spear is number one? Isn't the amount huge? I mean, that's
5: the part that surprised me. I didn't realize it was quite that high. I know there's a lot of fishing, spear phishing taking place. So much deception, and I just—it—it frightens me because so many people out there uh, just provide the information when they get a call or something. They just give the information that is being sought out without, you know, any um, reservation. And that's what we have to change, Libby. People can't believe that these fraudsters would engage in this kind of activity and this kind of behavior, and they're just not accustomed to being vigilant in terms of when they receive ridiculous emails and things of that nature, that they just delete, 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 don't respond, don't do anything.
3: And what would you like to leave us with? It's
5: not just with the elderly. It's obviously with young people. Please be cautious. Do not take any calls, any emails. If you suspect anything, if you don't know who the caller is, who's sending the email, delete. Just delete, hang up, do nothing.
3: And I just want people to be very cautious. Okay, Jeff, what would you like to leave us with?
8: Uh, The same type of messaging. You know, again, recognize, reject, report, recognize, again, that the fraudsters are, you know, using emails, text messaging, uh, internet, uh, telephone. You know, they're trying to scam money out of anybody, any way they can get a hold of them. Um, Reject, hang up, delete, uh, as Ann's saying, and then report. You know, if police don't get the reporting, if law enforcement doesn't hear about it, we don't know what's happening. And uh, that's really important in getting the messaging out.
1: That is good advice. Recognize, reject, report. Words to live by when it comes to avoiding being a victim of scams. Jeff Thompson is Senior RCMP Intelligence Analyst with the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre and Privacy Expert Ann Kavukian. Both were in conversation with Libby Snymer on Thursday. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio. Here are some of the best calls of the week. Bill in Toronto phoned to tell us about how he avoided being scammed.
7: Last year I was at work and uh, a phone call came in and I can't remember where this gentleman said he was calling from. He had a very powerful, intimidating voice. Uh, And his complaint was that my... The business that I worked at had been told numerous times to pay their hydro bill, and we were in arrears. I had five minutes to give him a credit card number, or else he was going to turn my power off. So I said to him, pal, I've got you on speakerphone. I'm going to stand here for the next five minutes, and I want to see my lights go out. And he hung up.
1: Leslie in Toronto phoned to say it's not just seniors who are duped by scams.
4: My granddaughter, who is 15, was scammed out of $50. My Facebook account got hacked and they contacted her and they pretended to be me. She gave them all her information, luckily not her banking information. She lost $50. She texted me and she said, are, "Grammy, are you uh, messaging me? And I said,
1: no. Dennis in Toronto called with his take on voting in the United States.
2: The lack of uniformity in terms of how voting occurs, both, both
7: at the state level and at the federal level, is just fraught
2: with all kinds of problems and difficulties. It's not truly representative, in, in my opinion. And the, the, the Iowa poll is just demonstrative of that. It's, in, you know, it's a white population. Little or no diversity. I, I find the whole system down there completely baffling, to be perfectly honest.
1: Brian in Mimico phoned to tell us about his personal experience with a luxury car driver.
7: I don't know what it is with black BMWs, but they're the worst, the most aggressive. And one time I was in a, getting some gas at a gas station. I just pulled up to the pump of the car in front of me, left to the other pump got out of my car, and this uh, Mercedes-Benz comes behind me. guy honks the horn, leaning out the window, saying something in a German accent. So I got back in, moved my car up to the next empty pump there, thinking he wanted that. Instead, he drives right by me and goes to the Tim Hortons next door. And he could have went around the pumps, because I've done it myself. Lots of ways to get there, but I'm supposed to get into my car and move out of my way I'm getting gas just so he can drive on through. That's arrogance.
1: Ellen in Brampton called from the perspective of a luxury car driver.
5: I just uh, recently purchased. Uh, on a scale of one to ten, it's probably a lower uh, as um, luxury cars go, but it's a uh, BMW, and. I feel a a little bit the opposite when I'm driving. I'm very extra careful and very extra nice because I think people expect me not to be when I'm driving this car, (laughs) Um, which comes back in part because of the attitude of my own kids when I bought this car. So I'm kind of looking forward to getting rid of it, to be honest with you.
1: Sean in Toronto phoned to say he thinks four by four drivers are the worst.
4: I'm just amazed these days at... uh... The drivers out there that have these fancy pickups, you know which ones I'm talking about. The four by fours, they're crazy, Libby. Uh, they, you watch these, uh, these things in action on our streets, our neighborhoods, and, uh, our highways. They drive them like they're toys and they rev up and speed up. I'm just afraid of them. I just stay away from them. they they're, they're horrible, and I don't think there's safety
0: there uh, at all. And
1: now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. In fact, there were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week comes from Rudy in Toronto with his take about the coming single-use plastics ban
2: i 'm an, uh, an older retired person, and uh, recycling is a very big part of my my life i I, I believe in it very strongly and when i 'm in supermarkets uh, it it really annoys me to see the amount of plastic and there is one place that I go to occasionally, they, everything there already seems to, to, to have come uh, wrapped in plastic. All the vegetables and everything are already packaged in plastic, and I think they get most of the stuff imported. So uh, I think something should be uh, changed in, in that place too, About because so, that's a, a great uh, source of, of uh, uh, unreusable plastic.
1: Or if you have a comment, email us at fightbackzoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at fightbacklibby. Libby. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back.
0: The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeeb Hadi, with technical production by Kelly Robotham, executive producer Moses Nimer.